This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Focus podcast. I'm your host Jee Sampal. The Rajasthan government on July 21 passed the right to minimum guaranteed income bill 2023. a legislation that has been hailed as a historic one from the point of view of fulfilling the state's social security obligations towards citizens the bill has three key elements a right to guaranteed employment a right to a minimum guaranteed income which is not to be confused with a minimum income guarantee or what is known as the universal basic income and thirdly a right to guaranteed minimum social security pension Rajasthan already has uh, an MG NREJ based employment scheme and other welfare schemes going so what was the need for a law of this kind and is this an example of what prime minister narendra modi has referred to as a ravdi culture and how will the rajasthan government raise the resources for what is evidently a rights based welfare initiative we explore all these questions and more in this episode of in focus and we have with us Nikhil Day a social activist who works with the MKSS and the Suchna Evam Rozgar Adhikar Abhiyan Nikhil thank you so much for joining us thanks so much sampath nice to be with you Nikhil uh, to start with uh, for the benefit of our listeners can you just take us through quickly as to how this Rajasthan minimum guaranteed income bill came about what was its rationale i understand there has been a lot of uh, grassroots level work and campaigning and advocacy going on so we just want to hear a little bit about that so sampad there about three different uh, important legs to this legislation uh, one is of course a rural employment guarantee which already exists for more than 15 years in india since 2005 so 17 years and which has proved itself invaluable as being a lifeline to uh, the rural poor and a lifeline to rural areas in the entire indian economy in times of distress including covid uh, that guaranteed 100 days of work at close to minimum wages and it was for building of infrastructure in people's villages that same law was supposed to be if you go back and trace it in the national advisory council in the national common minimum program of the upa government they had promised for rural and urban areas so there's been a long standing demand for a similar kind of fallback entitlement for urban areas of cash for work you get and uh, it's very important to understand that distinction uh, so the 100 day employment for urban areas has so far not been legislated anywhere it has been legislated for the first time in rajasthan now and it is not 100 days it's at 125 days so rajasthan in this law legislated an extra 25 days in ngnrga over and above the 100 days as a law and that's a very big distinction so far some states have added days to the 100 days but as schemes and there's a very of course big difference for people uh, and it has last year launched a fairly large urban employment guarantee program which offered 100 days of urban work uh, at roughly minimum wages and that was not a law it was a scheme and we saw it play out 
And the third component, which has become law again, is that there has been a long-standing demand for social security pensions as a legal entitlement. And for the first time in the state of Rajasthan, pension has been added in. So these are the three legs, an enhanced rural employment guarantee, an urban employment guarantee equal to that. So 125 days if you're a resident either in a rural or urban area. And if you cannot work, for those who cannot work, a pension. So when you ask how did this come about, what is sort of the origins of it? So the origins would come from a very much a worker's the right to work perspective. That when I am able-bodied and able to work, I will do whatever work I can, but when I don't find employment, then I should have fallback employment, whether I live in a rural area or an urban area. But there are many people who can't do manual labor, which is where NREJ is designed so far. So for them, your hard physical work. So for those people, whether they are elderly or whether they are disabled or whether in some way or the other, they have a particular kind of vulnerability like widows, for instance, have to look after their kids in their homes as well as try and earn a little bit more. So they can also get access to a pension. The pension, minimum pension in Rajasthan was 500 rupees before this law came about. So it has doubled the minimum pension. The coverage is fairly huge. It's about one crore, just under one crore people. And the most uh, important part of it is for the first time in the country, again, with pensions, is an automatic increase in pensions of 15% every year. It's not quite an indexation with inflation. It's a little bit more. So over a period of time, pensions will move upwards in their size and in their amount. And to give you a contrast with how things are, Sampath, in the national, it's a centrally sponsored scheme, the National Social Assistance Program. And it gives to these same three categories of people, pensions, but it gives 200 rupees a month since 2007. There's no indexation. So that shows you how you can actually push who we call the senior citizens of the country or disabled people into destitution at 200 rupees a month. And it only covers the BPL list, which is now out of date. So in Rajasthan, out of about 12,000 crores that the state governments will spend on this uh, pension scheme, only about 300 crores comes from the central government, whereas it should roughly be a half and half sharing. Right. So uh, so, so, you, so this guaranteed pension, which is now much higher, uh, which is 1,000 rupees uh, from, from, the two, from the 500 rupees earlier, which you were uh, referring to, now, right. from over the years, inflation has also shot up and, and you did mention, of course, it's, it's a great feature that this is indexed, uh, this pension annually, there will be a revision that is over 15%, right? Is that is that right? Correct. That's correct. Yeah. So, but would it really uh, be adequate? Like what difference would it make? I mean, thousand rupees, I mean, uh, the mind boggles when one thinks about, especially in an urban setting. Uh, like what what can they i actually uh, how can they use that money to make a difference like is it just like a top up kind of a thing for them as well or is it really something uh, which can make is uh, uh, like a deal breaker in terms of their ability to survive so it's a shocking thing sampal that many people survive just on rations and pensions i mean there are both rations gives you 5 kilos of wheat food grain which is not enough for a person in a month uh, but rations and pensions has been the survival of many people we've seen around us. And that is shocking if you think of it that 
500 rupees was the pension amount earlier. And if you were you're in a state where the state government does not top up the central amount, it's even less um, or does not top it up adequately. So you're completely right. We have for a long time said pension, social security pension should be at least half of minimum wage. So today they, that would mean over 3000 rupees a month. But gradually, perhaps this pension amount will keep re reach around that because the inflation is not quite at 15%. So this is giving people a chance over a period of time to catch up. And it's in, done in two pieces in January and in July, like government employees have uh, this indexation and this increase one in 5% and one of 10%. Uh, so, yeah, nothing is adequate. We have been in employment demanding actually 200 days of work or 100 days per individual. We have in pensions being demanding half of minimum wage. Uh, but neither was that done, nor was it ever done by law. It's those who want to work and can work will get work of 125 days. And those who can't work will get at least the minimum pension. So it is that formulation of minimum guaranteed income. Yeah, from both these points of view, in terms of increasing the number of days, uh, the location where it's available from rural to urban, and also this index indexation uh, aspect of it, it's definitely a step forward, no doubt about that. But coming again uh, to the situation in other states, uh, I mean, the other states also, I mean, they don't have a law uh, as such, but they do have uh, some kind of... Uh, a cash for work kind of a scheme going on and they also have cash transfer system going on so how is this different from what we have in other states like karnataka and jharkhand and so on yeah so there's been firstly yes you're right there are cash for work schemes in certain states where there's a top up there are also some urban employment guarantee programs which is similar to but there is a huge difference between a law and all of us who have been fighting for this rights-based approach feel that the poor can only get agency if they get legal rights and we have seen how much they mobilize how much nraga has empowered women because it's given them money in their bank accounts it's brought them out onto the streets if they are not paid in time it's brought them out to to negotiate with the panchayat if they are not given work so it allows a lot of agency and it strengthens democracy hugely and equality in many other ways whereas when you're on a cash transfer which is now very much the case in many places being talked about, then it's like a dole. Everyone feels it's kind of free. Uh, so Karnataka has just said that 2,000 rupees will be given to every woman head of household. And Madhya Pradesh, just before elections, is doing a similar program for women. The thing that we have seen some in the past, not just here, but across the world, there were cash transfer programs in Brazil and Mexico that were very famous, one in Philippines that was quite well known, uh, one in South Africa. These all preceded NREGA and they were they suffered from two very fundamental issues. One is everyone wants cash. So if you're just giving cash without work, it is a dole. In, all, in reality, we may call it universal basic income, but it's income not against work. Even if we make it conditional to having a light bulb or having uh, your kids go to school and the second thing is that how do you target it because you always have to target it to the people who need it and 
it's not just in India, but it's across the world that the more affluent want to get into that list and therefore they squeeze out the really poor and there is a very big mess. Whereas so here in, uh, in a universal basic income, there is no targeting uh, required, right? It's, it's universal and if you don't need it, uh, that income uh, will be uh, returned through taxation, right? Isn't that how it's supposed to work? You and I cannot obviously claim universal basic income. And you know how our taxation system works, how few people pay taxes. So, yes, you could exclude all income taxpayers, but that's a tiny, minuscule number. But you will end up paying many others. Whereas when you have cash for work, only those who are willing to spend eight hours doing physical work and get minimum wages will turn up for it. So it has a fabulous self-selection mechanism. And then, of course, it has other things that go with it because you're doing productive work. If you look at NREG or anything else, it requires an asset, a productive asset to be built. And it's a part of NREG that's been very unfairly condemned, I think, to say that people don't work because all payments in NREG are also made based. Yeah, speaking of this unfair condemnation, Nikhil, now, now that you brought it up, I just, I mean, for the benefit of our viewers, again, a lot of people... Uh, thanks to the kind of uh, discourse and propaganda, some of it definitely, uh, there is this uh, this view in many quarters that NREG work is just uh, digging a hole and filling it in. You know, that's the kind of uh, myth being created about it. So, can you talk a little bit about how this uh, this impression came about, and is it really something that goes on, or is it purely, I mean, or primarily an asset creating kind of work that is done? So it's a combination. It would take a very foolish uh, policy system to say dig, a, dig up the earth and fill it up. And it would take a very inefficient system to just leave it at that. So actually, I don't know of a single rural road, particularly ones to small hamlets and villages and to Dalit Bastis, or a single check dam or a single talab that has not had NREG work on it. So from water harvesting to the building, initial building of the road so that your motorcycle uh, can go and someone who's ill can be brought to a hospital or something critical can be taken to your home. NREG is rural India's capital expenditure. So to say capex, capex, capex that our urban people seem to think that it's only some big airport or it's a big national highway which costs hundreds of, uh, is deeply flawed. And actually, NREJ, you should go. So in Rajasthan, for instance, the NREJ wage is about 250 rupees. And if you go on the site, you will see that the wage that's being paid is about 210, the average wage. Why? Because NREJ is as per output. You are paid as per output. So the poorest people are actually being measured for the work. And then you're saying that it is useless work. It is just... Our people are lazy and they don't work. If any of that is happening, it's because of the more qualified paid officials who are either not helping in the planning properly or in the execution and measurement properly. So it's not to say that there aren't inefficiencies in NREJ, but to say that the program, the idea of the program itself has proved itself. There are lots of studies. People like Jean Reyes have recently done one in Jharkhand to show that when you have a mango plantation on fallow land that's put in or horticulture, the productivity is immense. It's better than you have for 
either small scale or medium scale or in industry, the turnover, the, the multiplier effect is huge. Uh, Ashok Gehlot recently, when talking about this law, asserted, and we believe he is right, that there are many economically depressed parts of the state that are surviving because NREJ brings cash into the economy and then it makes those markets function. Uh, we have seen in terms of economic downturn, including COVID, that it allowed families not to go under in, in circumstances. And it was not just because of the cash, it's because of what they did. And finally, one very important point, Sampar, is that these programs are actually, in term, times of climate change, some of the most climate mitigating programs in the world. It, I would say, and I would assert that NREJ is probably the largest carbon sink program in the world because you are doing small water harvesting structures, you are doing planting trees, you are doing non-tarred roads, but you're doing roads with, uh, and you are making, improving your fields in small ways. And you have a ban on contractors and you have a ban on labor displacing machines. Whereas if you look at what our capital expenditure is, what we call growth, we are not looking at the costs of that growth to the climate. So it's a very important, again, cost-benefit analysis that needs to be taken in. And it needs to come into this debate in terms of whether this is useless work or whether it's ravery work or whether it's freebies or whether it's... Uh, and But definitely the distinction between a cash transfer, straightforward, and a work cash for work, there is a very big distinction. Right. I mean, two very important points uh, you made there, Nikhil, I really appreciate. One, of course, is to sort of uh, point out that NREGA work for uh, cash programs or cash for work programs, they are actually the rural India's capital expenditure. That's a very different way of looking at it completely. And second point, of course, being that uh, a lot of it is climate friendly, and it, they could play a very critical role in building uh, India's uh, carbon sink programs. And they have to be made an integral part of our climate mitigation uh, policy as well, uh, because this is something we already have, and it's a very strong resource to tap into. Now, moving on to another aspect of this uh, legislation. Now, uh, 1,000 rupees a pension, and then there is, of course, uh, the amount which will go into the entire uh, transfers of cash and wages for the work done. So where will the resources uh, come from for implementing uh, this minimum guaranteed income scheme? I think you said uh, I don't know, one crore uh, people, like how many crores was that? So it's going to be a huge... Yeah, uh, roughly one crore people's pensions, yeah. Yeah, so multiplied by whatever is the minimum wage per day. So is it so there are some fears being expressed in certain quarters that um, Rajasthan I think has some kind of 38% or whatever debt ratio uh, to GDP and uh, there is also uh, fiscal deficit, budget deficit constraints. So in this context, will there be an issue in terms of raising resources or will it end up taking away money which could go into capital investment from the state? Yeah, so the biggest expenditure of the state is actually on government functionaries salaries and their pensions way above and i'd like to start with the central government because i think that contrast is extremely important the central government today the ministry of rural development yesterday submitted to the standing committee on rural development on pensions 
the standing committee had strongly recommended that the 200 rupee social security pension be increased and its coverage be increased. And the answer that has been given by the Ministry of Rural Development is extremely revealing. They say that the issue was put forth and recommended by the ministry, but the finance and the cabinet, finance department and the cabinet decided that because of a lack of resources, they cannot increase this amount and therefore they are not going to pursue it. I want to tell you that 9,000 crores has been the total amount of monies for the last 10 years it has not gone up because it has been frozen in terms of numbers and in terms of money. Rajasthan alone is going to spend 12,000 crores. 9,000 crores is less than one DA increase, one single DA increase for all the pensioners, government pensioners in the country. So the question is, do we have an idea of a welfare state as per, and this is a very important question, Sampad, as per our directive principles of state policy, which says you must look after your elderly, you must look after the people who are workers and make sure they have fair working conditions. Or are we only going to say that no, those who have a voice already are the ones who we are going to keep servicing. So if we can increase their DA twice a year at more than the amount, total amount that we pay to the rest of our population, it's something really shocking. As far as Rajasthan is concerned, it should actually be that this amount, as you said, pensions at 1,000 rupees sounds very little. So if as the centrally sponsored scheme had said that the center would pay half and the state would pay half, we could have been at 2,000 rupees. And it's a question of priority, Sampath, because even in the Rajasthan budget, there are all kinds of expenses going into all kinds of things. So it's a question of prioritizing and credit goes to the chief minister, I think, and to the state government that they say, he said, the chief minister said, we are not giving a dole, we are not doing you a favor. This is your right. As a citizen of the state, it's your right. You have worked in the unorganized sector, you have paid taxes, it is your right to get a pension. It is your right also if the market is not being able to give you work to get fallback work. And you're working and doing productive work and for that you're getting a wage. So do we have enough money? I don't doubt that money can be generated. I don't doubt that our growth rate, if we were to simply, these same questions were raised when Narega came. People said you may as well throw money from helicopters. People said that the national economy will collapse. None of that happened. And instead of us keeping pace with Narega, with the growth rate of the country as a percentage of GDP, we have frozen, as you know, nationally, Narega's amount, we have reduced it. It was 98,000 crores last year. We have given 60,000 crores this year. So what are we doing to our poorest people is a very big question. And is that development is a very big question. Is that capital expenditure is a very big question. We just dealt with the issue of what is the Narega money doing in our very firm opinion. It is actually capital expenditure for those panchayats all over. And it is infrastructure building for all those panchayats. And it has a much better multiplier effect because as soon as the money comes into those women's bank accounts, they go to the market and spend it in their local markets. Right. Uh, two very good uh, points there, uh, Nikhil. I really appreciate you pointing it out. The question is not one of uh, whether there are resources, but one of uh, priorities. And secondly, of course, uh, we need to look at uh, what you said 
about the directive principles you know it's very important to point out i appreciate you pointing it out that this entire legislation is rooted in the constitution in the directive principles which point to the obligations of the state to the marginalized to widowers to the old to the elderly to the disabled so there is a clear constitutional framework for this law as well one final question uh, before we wrap up uh, nikhil so how do you view the significance of this legislation as we move forward uh, you did mention that let's say if the center were to chip in with 50% the pension could have been 2000 instead of 1000 and if there is maybe some kind of a consensus or pressure from more number of states the center which you, know, you just mentioned the finance secretary sort of shooting it down you know the option of increasing it so is there a chance of the center perhaps bringing a version of this law pan india or maybe other states following suit yeah i want to say three very quick things two before i get to your question number one i want to lay at rest the ravdi and freebie debate this is not ravdi this is not freebie and i take strong exception to the use of the term ravdi and very loosely used because it can be labeled anything can be labeled than ravdi needs to be defined to me the idea of will produce development or an outcome cannot be classified as ravdi ravdi is if you are just going along just before an election and putting some money in someone's pocket with no idea of what how that's going to help in development in any way and so therefore none of this can the second point i want to make is that this is one of a series of measures so there are many other measures that have taken been taken by the state government that need to be appreciated they have increased the food packet from beyond wheat to bits with electricity so all these minimum basic services they are covering to see that even if someone does not have enough resources at least those minimum services are provided and the third thing i want to say is that this law is certainly a path breaker there is another law that's come in that perhaps some other time we can discuss or you can discuss which is a gig workers law which looks at a market mechanism but this law is a path breaker because other states will follow some states will debate do we want to give and cash against work and do we want to ensure that pensions are indexed and are, do we ensure want to ensure that india's rights based legislation framework gets strengthened uh i think it's come to a point full circle almost sampar that during upa 1 india got some of its finest rights based legislations it carried on a bit into upa 2 and then we had an attack on the rights based framework saying no we, the market will do everything well the market has not done everything then the same government that said the market will empower and do everything has had to turn to food security the right to employment energy kinds of things even during covid and else at other times so i think we have we will see a revival of the rights based framework rajasthan also had a right to health law as you will know which is a pioneering law and i think rajasthan will lead the way amongst many states to say you need to consider this and it should and if we were to have central coverage of right to health of right to employment rural and urban right to pensions that is a real social security umbrella much needed in a country that's saying that we are going to be one of the third largest economies in the world 
Right, that's a very strong uh, point to conclude on, uh, Nikhil. I, mean, I completely uh, do hope that you are proved right and there will be a revival of a rights-based framework. And you mentioned India, I mean, the, the aspiration to be the third largest uh, economy. I mean, that is the aggregate GDP. I mean, I would, uh, I, I guess one should aim to be the third largest GDP per capita. That's a more difficult and also a more meaningful goal right. to aim for, perhaps. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us and for sharing your observations and thoughts on this uh, really significant legislative uh, uh, development. Pleasure talking to you, Nikhil. Hope to have you back again soon. Thanks so much, Sampan. Pleasure to be here. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.